to hear about these motherfuckers. It's time to go. All I want to do is fucking eat. If you're not watching the beat, somebody, we're watching the beat. Everybody. Nowhere to run and nowhere to hide for four quarters. They got to see us in our house for four quarters. They got to look us in the eye for four. This is about us and our family and our house. This is about us. This is our mentality. We ain't backing down. We ain't running. Set a tone. Send a message. This is our house. Physical toughness wins in football now. And if you in this room, you got it. If you come in here, you better believe in it. Because this physical toughness is what makes the difference. Elite focus. That's all I do to the guy across from me. I'm fixing to whip his ass. Not in my box. Not today. It's about us. It's about our family. We attack. You take that helmet and you strike him. And you strike him. And you strike him. That's how you get respect. No, I am going to pick shit out of Physically, physically, I want to break him. Oh, welcome back in, football fans. It is that week. It is SEC game week for our Georgia Bulldogs. And as I've told you a hundred times, you're only going to get stuff here that you're not going to get anywhere else. We have an exclusive treat for you this week. And as I introduce my guest here, I just want to back it up a little bit and say, remember, I took that little trip up to SEC Media Days this year, spent a week in Nashville. And while I was up there, I started looking around for a fellow who I'd been watching his work here on YouTube. I appreciated what he's doing, and I thought I ought to say hello. He was nice enough to spend a minute chatting with me. We set this thing up, and now he's here to bring his perspective on these Gamecocks to you. Chris from the Spurs Up Show is joining us today. How are you doing, Chris? Randy, I'm doing well. I appreciate you having me, man. I was telling you off air, it feels like yesterday we were just in Nashville sitting at Nissan Stadium just talking ball, looking ahead to the 2023 season, and here we are on the verge of SEC play. It's been a fun year thus far, but you know, all the question marks that we've all had about these football teams will really start to get some answers now. And, uh, you know, for both Bulldogs and Gamecocks, this one's a really fun one. The border war, the border battle, if you will. And uh, Shane Beamer and Kirby Smart's team set to do battle. And again, grateful for the opportunity, Randy, to chat with you uh, and break it all down. Man, it's a pleasure. I'm just happy you're here. Like I said, I, <laughs> I, I didn't want to. It's been a crazy time since we were up there. Those weeks have flown by. And I, I, as we were saying, I've been just all over the place for the last few weeks. And man, I was happy when you were willing to jump on here with me and make it happen. Now, you mentioned Shane Beamer and Kirby Smart. Now, these two programs, these two coaches, they are absolutely not strangers to one another. I think actually they pitched Kirby a question this week in the press conference about whether or not he wants to see this rivalry continue and how often the teams will be able to play and all that sort of stuff as we move forward. Just from that angle, just from the historical and the familiarity uh, angle for these two teams and these two coaches. What are your thoughts, you know, as we get ready for this game? Well, I'll tell you, it's first thing, Randy, it's a damn shame they're not going to play next year. Um, it's one of those games that, you know, I, I grew up in the CSRA, which is the North Augusta, Augusta, Aiken area, if you will, Evans, Georgia, right around that area, right on the border of South Carolina and Georgia. So this is a game I, I grew up, you know, firsthand with. Uh, I probably admittedly hated Georgia more than Clemson growing up as a Gamecock fan just because, you know, you're, you're, you're in such close quarters with Dogs fans. And I think at that point, you know, when I really first grasped onto the Gamecocks and, and found my love for college football, college athletics, it was end of 2002, beginning of 2003. And, you know, Clemson was sort of like South Carolina, like a 6-6, six and six, 500 program. Georgia was very successful under Mark Rick, David Green, David Pollock. Greg Blue, Thomas Davis, those guys still give me nightmares. DJ Shockley, the list goes yeah. on and on. So, um, And they were always really, really tough, physical, close games with the University yeah. of Georgia, too, which made it kind of that fun rivalry. Of course, the dogs getting the better of the Gamecocks more often, but you could just 
always count on that game in the second week of the season to be a knockdown, drag out fight. And you really felt like the winner of that game is going to go on to have a really, really good season. That kind of determined the year for both these. Obviously, things have changed much since then. But it is a shame. Listen, I, I know you and I are both on the side of we favor the expansion of the SEC and what Texas and Oklahoma bring to the lead. You know, we think SEC Media Days was big this past year. Just wait till next year in Dallas when you have Texas and OU there in attendance as well. But, I mean, I, I side with Kirby, and I know Shane Beamer sides on the same side as well, that, you know, it's a shame this game won't be getting played. It, it'll be weird for sure next year to think that Georgia won't be on the schedule. So, I think, Randy, if anything, it puts more emphasis on this ball game that, hey, uh, get your licks in while you can because this game may not return for a couple of years. Yeah, I, you were spot on. I couldn't say it any better myself because growing up, and, and especially when Steve Spurrier was there, right, you knew that that was like a mammoth game in week two because it was literally going to sort of lay out the path for what was going to happen the rest of the year. So I, I agree with you completely. And hopefully this won't be a game that just falls by the wayside. With the rotation, they'll meet. But, man, I wish we could do it every year. It, it's hard to squeeze it in like that, though. So now South Carolina – when we look at this team this year, there are they have a new offensive coordinator. They're young at spots across the team, but Beamer's been there for a minute. So I don't know. How do you feel about them right now after two games? You know there's moving pieces, right? You understand they're still coming together. But from somebody who's watched the team, how do you feel? You feeling good? You feeling pretty excited? I mean, you think of bowl games out there? I mean, what are you, what are you thinking? Yeah, Randy, just to take you back to the summer and around the time of SEC Media Days, you know, that's normally when I lock in my predictions for not just South Carolina, but the entire SEC. And so I I came into the season with a prediction of seven and five for the Gamecocks. You know, I felt like coming from last year to this year, they, you know, they had some serious roster turnover, right? We all heard about the transfer portal with Jaheim Bell, Marshawn Lloyd, Jordan Birch, et cetera, leaving South Carolina. And while they picked up some nice pieces, there were some obvious holes on this roster. So, Randy, two games in, I think this South Carolina football team has only honestly reaffirmed my thoughts of them in the preseason, the sense of, you know, you have Spencer Rattler. And the big question was this, which version of him are we going to get, right? He's been fantastic through two weeks. I think he's played even better than I expected. I thought he would be much better in a double login scheme, the offensive coordinator that was much simplified, catering to his skill set, right? And we'll see what he does when we get into SEC play, of course, starting on Saturday. But he's been fantastic through two weeks. But, you know, my biggest concern, Randy, on the offensive side was the running game and the right. offensive line and lack thereof. And, I mean, it has it has been about what I expected, if not even slightly worse through two weeks, right? I mean, obviously – Everybody saw what happened on opening night, week one, with the nine-sack performance against UNC, negative two rushing yards. And then, Randy, last week, South Carolina gets a big bounce-back win, 47-21 over Furman, but they averaged 2.8 yards per carry against the FCS Paladins defensive front, right? On the defensive side, the worry there, line of scrimmage yet again, line of scrimmage and depth. And the defensive front, Randy, I have real concerns about. So everything I thought about this team, then, of course, we have to talk about Beamer Ball, special teams. That hasn't really showed itself yet, but you know that's going to be a strength for South Carolina with Pete Limbo and, of course, Shane Beamer leading the way. So, Randy, I would say that everything I thought about this football team in the preseason and going in, it's only been reaffirmed for me. Now, I had the Gamecocks beating North Carolina in the preseason and losing to Mississippi State the game following this Georgia game. So South Carolina is going to have to win one that I picked them to lose. But if they can do that, 
I think they're still right on track for that seven and five mark because Shane Beamer has showed us and you know, love it or hate it or what have you, they start slow under his leadership and they tend to get better as the season goes. And if they follow that path, and as long as they get through the first half of the season, first six games, three and three or better, seven and five is still in the card. So, you know, I, I, again, Randy, answering your question, I, I think South Carolina is about what I expected, but I'm not sure I expect them to be quite as porous as they are the offensive front. And, you know, I think that's something you ask in a Gamecock fan. That's their biggest question mark going into this game throughout the rest of the season. It's something that's got to get fixed rather quickly. Yeah, well, you mentioned Beamer Ball, and we're all familiar with that and the history of it. And obviously, there were some big moments last season for that squad. I mean, they were the overall composite number one special teams unit in the conference. And I have zero doubt that we're going to see that come to fruition this week. It may not work, but I absolutely expect that we're going to see those guys trying to make, you know, sort of change the game, change change the calculus, if you will, in the game on special teams. So I completely expect to see that. Um, now, you mentioned Spencer, and we're going to come back to him here in just a second. Uh, but we all know about him, right? I mean, he came in, especially at the end of last year, big splash plays, splash moments, huge wins for the Gamecocks last year. What are some other Gamecocks that maybe we don't know because we don't follow them as closely as you do that we ought to pay attention to heading into the game on Saturday? Well, I think when you look at who he's throwing to, right, Randy, I mean, the, the name that probably most Georgia fans will know from last year is Juice Wells. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, the status of Juice Wells is unknown, right? Shane Beamer's kind of pulled the whole gamesmanship thing that coaches like to do and Going into weeks one and two, never really gave a status. Hey, Juice tells me he's going to play. It's like, well, okay, well, what does that mean? What do the doctors say? What do you say, right? So right. kind of dancing around the question and dancing around the answer. And Juice Wells has been, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, very limited, I think still nursing a foot injury that he sustained in the offseason. So I'm not really sure the status of him, but the guy who stepped up and emerged and is becoming a superstar overnight is Xavier Leggett on the outside of the wide receiver position. This man leads all of Power 5 in receiving yards right now. Big body dude, six foot four, around 225 pounds, and a guy that, you know, Gamecock fans felt like for years had all the potential in the world, but just never really lived up to it. And it was the kickoff return against Texas A&M, Randy, last year that he took to the house to open the game. I think that was kind of the the light bulb moment for him where the confidence you could just, he was a different player after that, right? Had the big catch in the bowl game against Notre Dame. Yep. And here's a great stat for you. Xavier Leggett had more receiving yards in game one against North Carolina than he had all of last year. So to say that he burst on the scene in a big way this year is putting it lightly. So he's going to be a guy, obviously Spencer Rat Rattler is targeting early and often. Uh, I would say Trey Knox at the tight end position, the Arkansas transfer. I'm not sure if dog fans would, would really be all that familiar with him because Georgia and Arkansas don't cross pass all that much. But I think Trey Knox will be somebody to look to utilize. Joshua Simon at tight end as well. Uh, and then I go to running back. You know, to carry on Joyner certainly a name that Georgia Bulldog fans know. But yeah. I think you're going to see a lot of Mario Anderson this week. The Division II transfer from Newberry looked really good uh, at the end of the game against Furman. And they're still kind of trying to figure things out. Uh, when it comes to the running back rotation. You know, there are other receivers I could mention as well, but the guys I listed will be the top playmakers that I think Spencer Rattler is going to look to most utilize. And, you know, a lot of those guys and even more beyond them will have to step up to move the football against this really tough Georgia defense. All right. Well, that's a couple. And you mentioned to Kerryon Joyner. Absolutely, Dolphins should know that name. That's a name. Mm. I mean, he was a highly rated, I believe it was quarterback when he was in high school. And he was a guy that Georgia recruited 
Uh, I mean, obviously, I have no insight on exactly where he was on their board, but I know they were interested. And for him to go to South Carolina, and now he's actually a really good story because he's changed positions twice over there and now has sort of found a rhythm. And, I mean, it it may not have been where he thought he was going to be, but he's obviously contributing to that team. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, starting out at quarterback, transitions to receiver, transitions to running back. I mean, the, the ultimate team player, right? We yeah. we college football now, and and listen for how great it is. I mean, it is great, right? The transfer portal. I mean, look, you look at what Dion's doing at Colorado, and what Florida State did building their football team. Like the transfer portal is a beautiful thing. I mean, South Carolina, their quarterback Spencer Rattler came out the portal. Juice Wells, right. their top receiver, of course, when healthy, came out of the portal, but. We don't give enough time, and every school has these, right? You know, Randy, the, the way that I would classify to carry on Joyner, and Georgia has them, Tennessee has them, Clemson has them, I think it's the highest honor for any player that they may not be, uh, you know, remembered for being an All-American or All-Conference or having the winning catch, but, like, they're a folk hero. They're a campus yeah. legend. Like, they're just – they'll forever be remembered in lore because of their sacrifices and what they meant to their community and what they meant to their program and just – the ultimate team player, right? I mean, the beautiful thing for Georgia is like you kind of looked at Stetson Bennett like that, except he was also a national championship winning quarterback and was damn good at it. Now was in the NFL. Like he, his story initially fit that bill, right? So I look at the carry on Joiner like that, which again I, I think is one of the highest honors you can give a collegiate football player. He's not going to hold any records when he leaves South Carolina. He's not going to be remembered as the you know the the best receiver or running back in SEC history, but. He's just one of those folk hero campus legend guys that Randy, honestly, that's what makes college football so awesome. That's what makes it so special. That's that's one of those things I think that's really nostalgic that all college football fans can look back and say, in this ever-changing landscape, things like that still exist. And I think a guy like the carry on joiner should absolutely be celebrated. With that being said, what is his role in this offense? What is his role in this football team? Because admittedly, Randy, I think South Carolina uh, swung and missed in the transfer portal looking for a running back. And, you know, while I think DeCabrion Joyner has great athleticism, agility, it's not a knock on him at all. He's being asked to do a lot, to, to shoulder the load at RB1 in a position he's never played before. So, again, that's why a guy like Amario Anderson, while it was at D2, He's actually been a starting running back, right? So they're going to have to use all four guys, Dak Joyner, Juju McDowell, Dontavious Braswell, Mario Anderson. And, and you know, obviously for starters, they're going to have to get great blocking up front to generate any sort of rushing attack against the dogs. Yeah, well, you know, it is SEC week for us and for you guys. We're opening mm-hmm. the conference, and it is a bit of a rivalry week. Right? Mm-hmm. South Carolina and Georgia go way back. So what kind of conversation would this be without just a little bit of trash talk? <laughs> now, I'm not talking about, for me, that's not how I get down. But there's a fellow by the name of Tonka Hemingway. If we <laughs> flash back to SEC Media Days, Tonka had a few things to say. And one of the things that popped up out of that is that he didn't mention Sanford Stadium in Athens, Georgia, as a difficult place to play. Now, you know Kirby's a master motivator. And, of course, this week he took the opportunity when he was asked about his fans to bring up the fact that Tonka had said that. And he absolutely sort of placed him as the villain for the fans this week to sort of get them juiced up, right, for the atmosphere. When we were at SEC Media Days, I flat looked Spencer in the eyes and said, hey, last year Hendon Hooker and number 1 Tennessee rolled in between the hedges, and you saw how that played out. This is your first trip to Athens. Do you have any thoughts 
on the atmosphere at Athens or what it's going to be like when the cocks roll in there. And he gave me a really non-interesting, we were focused on week one answer, you know, like he didn't really get into it at all. But I am curious, like, what do you think? Do you have any thoughts on what Tonka said? Good move, bad move. And what do you think about Athens, especially given the success that the program has had, you know, lately, how do you view that as an environment, uh, especially in conference play that another team has to come into? Well, Randy, I'll, I'll just say this about Kirby. I, I I respect what he did, and I understand why he did it. And like you mentioned, he is a master motivator, and and that's one of the things that I mean. Listen, I I admittedly I don't care who hears it. I I love listening to Kirby Smart halftime speeches or post game. I mean, he he's the most he's arguably the most electric coach when it comes to like those things, quote unquote, leaking right, getting out right. there. I mean, it, it's awesome hearing him. Either way, though. I get why he did it. I get what he's doing. I say poor Tonka Hemingway, though, because, I mean, the guy's asked a question at SEC Media Days, and mm-hmm. Kirby Smart is reaching. And granted, he was asked the question by the reporter, right? All he can do right. is respond to it. But, you know, Tonka, you know, is asked the question, of course. And I actually saw the clip today, just said, you know, you play at Willie B. It's a great environment. What are some of the other great environments, the best environments you've played in? And like you mentioned, he, he did not mention Sanford Stadium. He just said, Texas A&M, Neyland Stadium, they're both really loud, and it ended right there. So, you know, I I get what Kirby's doing. He's trying to fire up his people. I thought it was a little bit of a reach, but, I mean, all these coaches do that. So, I'm not going to, like, body slam Kirby here or anything, but that made me laugh because I was like, poor Tonka Hemingway, he's almost like catching stray bullets because for what he didn't say, right? You know what I mean? So, if he – hey, if he had listed Sanford Stadium, he'd have said, you know, my toughest places to play – you know, Kyle Field, Neyland, and then Sanford, they just said, well, he thinks it's the third toughest place. How <laughs> right. dare he? You know what I mean? So, right. um, I, you know, I, I, whatever they can use for motivation, you know, obviously I know that Kirby's talked about a lot fighting complacency, and that goes for the fan base as well. Like not feeling yeah. like, hey, we're four touchdown favorites. Like we still need y'all to show up, right? This isn't a walk in the park. This is SEC play. You know, you can get beat any given Saturday in this league. So I, I get what he's trying to do, but that one – that one did make me chuckle a little bit because, poor again, poor Tonka Hemingway getting, you know, almost in trouble for what he didn't say. Um, I mean, if you're Shane Beamer, you're like, I, I don't know what to tell the kid because he just didn't say anything. Right. Um, you know, but the environment at Sanford, I always think, Randy, it's – and I'm not trying to warm up to you when I say this, but I think it's weird when you see entities out there. Like, Sanford gets no respect. It, it yeah. just – and I know it's not as flashy as a Kyle Field. It's – you know, not as big as Neyland. And I, and I have not been admittedly to every single SEC venue. But, I mean, I, I have been to Sanford, and it gets deafening. I mean, it, it when, when Georgia fans want it to be, it gets deafening, right? So, I don't buy the whole Sanford's not loud, not a tough place to play. Like, I don't know if you have ever – I mean, not speaking to you, but I was going to say, like, if you are listening to this, you, you've never met a Georgia fan – you're going to change your mind rather quickly because Georgia fans get rowdy. They get raucous. There is into the ball game. They're smart football fans. They know what they're watching. That's why they're able to be so connected and locked in. And so it'll be a tough place to play. I mean, I, I fully expect, even if Kirby didn't say anything, uh, but certainly since he did, Georgia fans will show up, show out. And, you know, it's it's funny. There's, there's this feeling that I have, you know, looking back at 2021. I mean, over the years too, but like, I think Georgia fans are still pissed off because of what Spurrier did. When he was oh. at South Carolina, it's like I don't feel like Georgia ever comes into the South Carolina game like sleepwalking. And the Georgia fan base, it is it just you can count on it being a sellout when the Gamecocks come to town. And I don't know if it's because of 
people still pissed at what Spurrier did, or maybe there really is this hatred between South Carolina and Georgia that goes beyond even what we realize. But uh, nah, Sanford will be rocking, man. Three thirty CBS game too. Maybe if it was a noon game, right? Maybe, but nah, three thirty CBS game. It'll be a raucous environment. Which hey, if you're a player on the Gamecock side, that's what you want, man. That's why you come to South Carolina or go to any other big SEC school to play in those type of environments, and you know, hopefully, maybe pull the upset. Absolutely. And the other side of that, too, and obviously this holds true for every SEC head coach, right? Like, this is a big recruiting weekend for Georgia. There are a lot of dudes that are going to be there that are already committed, but there are also future year dudes that are going to be there. And you want it cranked up, right, to give that environment and that feel and and let everybody see what it's all about. And uh, you mentioned Spurrier. I think part of that Spurrier deal is just hangover from Florida, right? Like, (laughs) I mean, I despise Florida with the power of a billion suns, okay? So <laughs> that is all due to Steve Spurrier. Um, and then when he went to South Carolina, well, then they just got an unfair weight put on top of that program because not only if you are if you don't like Carolina, fine, but now Spurrier's over there, no, dude, that's that's not how it's going to get down, right? We got to root against those Gamecocks. So um, <laughs> that, that was a pretty interesting thing. I mean, do you, do you think – I mean, how do you think Spencer's going to handle whatever he sees in Athens? That's a great question, Randy. And if South Carolina is going to have any chance, they need Spencer Rattler to be the best version of Spencer Rattler, right? Right. But a lot of that comes down to the help around him. Um, It's, number one, I think it's going to take a masterful scheme from offensive coordinator Dowell Loggins, right? Because the fact of the matter is this. I've heard a lot of Gamecock fans saying, let's just go air raid. Let's throw it 50 times. That's a lot easier said than done. And that doesn't, number one, they don't run that offense. So it's kind of a moot point. But it's so much easier said than done to say, well, we'll just drop back and throw it every play and let Spencer pick them apart. And when you're facing a defense like Georgia's, if you don't have any semblance of balance, and Randy, admittedly, that was one of my greatest concerns, if not my greatest concern for this offense. I thought Spencer Rattler was going to improve. I I didn't think he was going to be the 2022 Tennessee game version, 440 yards and six touchdowns and no picks. But I thought he was going to be much better, much more consistent than what we saw last year. But when they run into games in which they have no balance at all and you're facing a defense like a Georgia's, then what do you do? So I think Spencer Rattler's going to handle the crowd fine. Like, I, I think he's a veteran at this point. He's composed. He's mature. I don't think he's going to get, you know, shook by 92 or 93 or 94,000 in Sanford, if you will. It's what, do the, what does the rest of the offense do? Like, it starts up front. I mean, bottom line, this game is won and lost in the trenches in the SEC, Randy, as you well know, and – uh, if he doesn't get the protection and they can't have some sort of stimulants of balance, he's going to be running for his life. And, and I think uh, Spencer Rattler's best friend might be the hot tub after this game because there's a good chance he's going to be rather sore, right, R- running around in the pocket, getting outside the pocket. I, I think for South Carolina offensively, you know, I think, Randy, they got to manufacture something. I think getting the ball outside on the perimeter of their playmakers, uh, guys making plays in space, because I just don't see them being able – to run the football up the gut, right, against Georgia. I, I know that, you know, I was listening to a, a Georgia guy earlier today, and he was nitpicking the defense. Maybe the interior defensive line is somewhat of a question for Georgia right now. There's no Jalen Carter walking in the room, which there aren't many, if any, Jalen Carters out there. Right. But, I mean, the, the Georgia defense is elite. They are. I mean, great linebacker play. The secondary is awesome. The defensive front is stout. Uh, it may not be elite, but it's stout. So, um, I think South Carolina will struggle to manufacture a running game. And, um, you know, I, I think Spencer Rattler, my greatest fear in this game, Randy, I think he plays well. My greatest fear is that 
when the running game's not there, South Carolina gets in third and longs, and you know you can only be the you you can only make the smart play and the smart throw for so long before you feel like as a quarterback and a playmaker like I got to do something. I got to put my team on my back. I got to do something to give us a chance to win. That's when you start playing hero ball, and that's when you throw that football right in the teeth of the Georgia defense. So it's going to take a special outing from Spencer Rattler, but the way he's been playing, Randy, I mean, I, I don't think it's out of the question that he could do it on Saturday. Well, just to give you a little, you know, know your opponent sort of insight here, just something to put in your back pocket and take with you the rest of this week. Over the last four years, the dogs have only allowed 78 yards a game on the ground. Now, I would, I don't know that, like you said, there is no Jalen Carter there, but this unit has been elite at striking, holding the point, taking on the run game, right? And those dudes are back, all those dudes, so that were integral in making that happen. So that's just something to remember. And history, recent history, the last six years has proven out that if you're going to beat the dogs, it takes not only elite quarterback play, but you need multiple weapons outside, right? Because you can take away one guy, but if you've got that second guy, maybe even that third guy, then you can put the dogs in a pinch, right? Because if you don't get home, that's when you get hurt. So uh, just, you know, not for nothing, just that 78-yard number is a big number, right? You're right. They have to be able to get some sort of run game if they're going to stick around. So if you will, Chris, give me the Spurs Up Show scouting breakdown of my Georgia Bulldogs. Well, I think I look first, I start offensively, and admittedly, Randy, I'll say this, I, I start doing my deep dives on these teams on Wednesdays and throughout Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we break the game down, get predictions. But, you know, based off the conversations I've had, what I know, obviously the big the big storyline with Georgia is Carson back on the offensive side, playing the quarterback position. I, I'll start actually by saying this, I'm not one of these people out here buying this narrative that, man, Georgia's, they started slow against UT Martin and Ball State, they're not what they were, they're not very good, I I'm just – I'm not buying that. I'm not buying that for a second. I think Georgia, until the until they get knocked off the top of the mountaintop, they're number one for a reason. They're back-to-back champs. Put some respect on the name. I'm, I'm not – again, I'm not trying to cozy up to you, but I'm just – I'm not buying the whole, you know, what have you. So there's a transition period in Athens, though offensively with Carson Beck. Mike Bobo is the OC. I know Georgia had to replace a pair of tackles, but – they recruited so well up front, I think, the offensive line, which I know has not played up to par the first two games, right? Georgia struggled to run the football. They've got some questions in the running back room. It's deep, but, like, who is that guy? I know there were some injuries in that room in the preseason in fall camp. Yep. And then at wide receiver, I mean, this is one of the best wide receiver rooms Georgia's ever, you know, ever had. Lad, Lad McConkey, Rob Rod Thomas, the list goes on and on of guys on the outside. Um, you know, and then, of course, Brock Bowers, save the best for last, right? How can I leave him out? He's, he's been incredible. I think Oscar Delp has been really good at tight end as well. Darnell Washington was a big loss for you guys, I know, and having to replace him is, is a big question. I mean, that, that dude, again, they don't build him like Darnell Washington. It's good luck replacing him. Um, but I think Georgia, honestly, is loaded on the offensive side and the whole Mike Bobo chatter and a lot of Gamecock fans will poke fun at Bobo this week. But I think what people have to keep in mind is Georgia last year, I think, averaged around 42 points per game. Right uh, at it. As yeah. an offense. Yeah, right at it. And the last time they averaged more than that was 2014 when Mike Bobo was the OC. So he knows what he's doing in Athens. And then defensively, right? I mean, you mentioned you lose Jalen Carter. You lose Kelly, uh, uh, Ringo on the outside of the defensive back position. I know Javon Bullard is one that may be out for this game at the safety spot. We'll find out more tomorrow or Thursday. But right. George is elite defensively. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't have to go name by name by name, what have you. Like you mentioned, the way they've recruited, Kirby has built – 
a real legitimate beast, a real legitimate monster, you know, in Athens on the defensive side and really throughout the football team, but especially defensively. And you kind of look at Georgia, and maybe one of these years it won't play out this way, but it feels like every year for Georgia it's like, you know, this year's backups or our next year's draft picks. I mean, that's that's just the way they've built that thing. So, um, again, d- defensive line, like you mentioned, there maybe were some questions there, but, I mean, you have so many good players. Nazir Stackhouse leading the way up front. Uh, fantastic linebacker playing in the secondary as well, which, uh, you know, I, I think is – you could argue it's better than last year. So, t- to me, Georgia's a complete football team. A- admittedly, Randy, I had Ohio State beating them in the national title – and really one of the only reasons, because I picked Georgia the last two years and win it all, I'd say the reason I picked Ohio State, you know, I I, I think, you know, Georgia with Carson Beck, well, well, you know, what's weird is we may not know a lot about Georgia in that regard until the SEC title game. Because it's like, how many tests is Georgia really going to get? But it's also just insanely hard to win it three in a row. I mean, I, right. I, that's, that's you know, Georgia's trying to do something that hadn't been done since the mid-30s, right? Since Minnesota did it way back when. So, um you know, Georgia's a complete team. I mean, you look, and Randy, I, I don't see a lot of weaknesses. I, I I think Georgia is as complete as they come, and I'm excited to see, obviously, South Carolina, but this Bulldogs team, you know, in a game with someone, you know, pick on somebody your own size type deal, because these first couple of weeks, Randy, like, I, I think it's great for fans of those schools to, hey, your team gets their feet wet, you get to see some different guys, you get some blowout wins, but, like, I'm excited to start actually learning some things yeah. about these football teams. And, you know, we'll see how much we learn on Saturday. We might learn more about Georgia than South Carolina because, um, you know, the Gamecocks, I don't, I, I don't exactly know what it's going to look like for them. But, you know, I think Georgia, if we're speaking on that perspective, has a great opportunity Saturday, I think, to remind all of college football and certainly the SEC that, like, hey, we're, we're still here. You know what I mean? Like, don't look too far into what we did against UT Martin and Ball State. Like, we're still – the cream of the crop. We're still number one for a reason. We're still the team to beat in the SEC. Well, there are a lot of Bulldog fans out there who are looking at this game as a bit of a prove it week, right? I mean, not that they're doubting these, these dudes, but it's like you said, you step up, you're in conference. Let's let's get a better weight, a better measure of who we are right here. And, and we'll, you know, it will play itself out. And that's why we watch the games, right? So I heard today that you mentioned your power rankings. I don't even... I don't even worry about the power rankings until we get into conference play. It's just so hard to read what you see, right? So um, I'm with you on that as well. Now, this is the last one. It's time to get down to brass tacks right here. What are your keys to the game in Athens on Saturday? And and you can take it, you know, what does it take for Carolina to win? Or you can just take it from generic keys from both sides. You can run with it however you like, Chris. Yeah, Randy, I'll say this. We actually, ironically enough, talked about this on our show today about what it would take for South Carolina to pull off the the monumental upset. And a couple of things. I had three specifically for me. Number one, I think I think it's got to look a lot like 2019. I think South Carolina has to win the turnover margin, you know, by three or more, have the advantage in that category. I think you need a defensive and or special teams touchdown, right? Beamer ball. Maybe you pick off back and you take it to the house, scoop and score something, something funky like that, uh, maybe a kickoff return, maybe a punt return, something of that nature. And then finally, Spencer Rattler has to be special, right? Like, I, I think we need to be leaving this game talking about Spencer Rattler, um, you know, maybe in the Heisman conversation. Like, because if, he, if he's able to go out and, you know, throw for 
300 and three touchdowns, no picks, and lead the team to a victory. I mean, I, I think he should realistically be starting to be in the at least in the convo early on just for fun. Um, I mean, when you look at the keys to the game, I, I think one big key, Randy, because when I give keys to the game, I try to go away from, hey, win the turnover battle, right? Like, I mean, that's one that's so obvious. So if we're looking at, like, kind of keys within this football game, South Carolina has to start fast. And I'll give you a reason why there's stats behind it. South Carolina is 2-6 and six in SEC road games under Shane Beamer, right? They've been abysmal in the first half of those losses. And the six losses – They've been outscored 157 to 42 by halftime. In those two wins, they were they were they've got a 24 to 7 advantage in that first half. So, you know, I, I know Georgia has gotten off to slow starts, right? That's something I know Bulldog fans have griped about. And certainly last week, I mean, they dropped a 31 spot in the second quarter, so they they picked it up very quickly. But you know, I don't see a scenario in which South Carolina falls down in this game 14-0 and is even to make it a competitive ball game because at that point you're really putting it all on Spencer Rattler to throw you back into the game and it is just imperative that South Carolina get off to a fast start. I'm not saying they got to score a touchdown in the first drive but put together something, you know, play fundamentally sound football, don't shoot yourselves in the foot. Um but realistically Randy, I mean I I would just say that you know everything I mentioned is what it will take and uh you know, the key for this football game, run the football, stop the run. That's the SEC. Welcome to the SEC. If Georgia is still not able to get a running game going, then I think all of a sudden things get interesting because now you're putting the pressure on Car Carson Beck in second and third and long. And the Gamecock strength of their defense is their secondary. Now, if they have Nick Emanwari back or not, we shall see. That will be a huge storyline in that ball game and a huge boost for them if they get him. But, um, you know, line of scrimmage will be key. If South Carolina can hold up, uh, they've got a good shot. Now, that's the huge if because we saw this this offensive front, defensive front, what they did against UNC, and it was absolutely abysmal, right? So um, I don't have a lot of optimism that they will do that, but I guess that crazier things will happen. But again, for the Gamecocks to make it a second-half game, they've got to find some semblance of balance offensively. They've got to be able to put this game on Carson Beck's right shoulder defensively and make him beat them through the air. You can't allow Georgia to just run it down your throat. Uh, they need Beamer Ball to strike in a big way. And, again, they need Spencer Rattler to be special. And maybe just maybe then you look up in the fourth quarter and it's a one-score game. All right. Well, I can I can remember that. That sounds like a good plan to me. I know the, the Gamecocks <laughs> are like, let's see that happen. Right? You know, so, uh, all right, Chris. So, <laughs> man, I appreciate you taking some time to come sit in with us, break down the Gamecocks-Georgia matchup this week. It's so good to be in conference play. Before we get out of here, I want to give you every opportunity to let the people know where they can find you if they want to keep up with the Gamecocks, if they want to catch your show, uh, all that good stuff. Take a second here and just let everybody know. Well, Randy, first things first, man, I appreciate you so much. You do a great job with the damn beast media and highly encourage, uh, obviously, all those that are tuned in right now that are fans of your show. But uh, you do great work, my friend. So I appreciate you having me and grateful for the opportunity. But, yeah, I'm, I'm Chris Phillips. We're at the Spurs Up Show, uh, Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. Wherever you consume content, we're there. We also air a daily live show called The Daily Crow, 
which airs noon to 3 Eastern time on YouTube. And we do talk other things, Randy, other than Gamecocks. We talk SEC. Like, for example, you know, Mondays I'll do my drive around the SEC, talk about the games. Tuesday we do SEC power rankings. You know, Thursdays and Fridays we preview the games, give predictions for the games, all that good stuff. So along with talking Gamecocks, we're talking a lot of SEC content. And we take questions, comments, and calls. So any Dogs fans or anybody else that wants to call in, chime in, talk a little ball, talk a little smack, you can do that. Um, and then, of course, the podcast drops daily, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. You can check us out there and uh, drops every single day, 5 p.m. Eastern. Also, also, Randy, I want to make sure I plug this for all the dog fans out there, especially uh, after every single football game this season, we are airing a post-game call-in show. And that will be the case after the game this Saturday so any Georgia fans want to chime in and talk a little smack and just talk ball, just talk about the game. We'll be live on YouTube within 10 minutes of the conclusion of South Carolina, Georgia on Saturday night. So going to be a ton of fun, man. The postgame call-in shows, you can imagine, have been electric and uh, expecting more of the same on Saturday. But again, Randy, I, I just really appreciate you giving me the opportunity, man. It's always a pleasure to talk ball with you. I've had a wonderful conversation. This has been great. And rest assured, the only people hanging around my channel are really college football nerds. They're hardcore. They want that access to that sort of content. So I, that's good stuff right there. So, you know, check out the dogs, follow what we're doing, and then see what the enemy's up to, too. I love the sound of it. That sounds good to me. All right, Chris. Again, man, thank you so much for being here. And then until next time, go dogs. Tell them how about them dogs. That's what I told them.